All right. Well, um, we are getting awfully close to Christmas. And uh, believe it or not, Christmas at King. If you've been around King any while, any little any amount of time, uh, you will remember that together as a church family, we do a lot of good both at home and around the world. And uh, you can head over to kingstreet.org and learn about what we're planning on doing together over the next number of weeks. Um, there is this passage in, uh, I believe it's Leviticus 23 in the Older Testament, where um, God invites uh, his people, um, especially in an agrarian culture, to um, not harvest right to the edges of their property, but for landowners and harvesters to leave some, um, some space, like a margin, so to speak, around the edges of their property so that um, those who were under-resourced, the poor, they could come and help themselves to part of the, the harvest. And it was actually embedded in the Jewish um, law that um, people who had resources were to, and this is the language we would use today, to put the under-resourced in their budget and to make space for them, literally. And so this is what Christmas at King is about. It's really got some biblical roots in the sense that we're inviting, as my family has done for years, is literally in our Christmas budget, there's a line item there, and we call it Christmas at King, but it's, it's about resources that are going to help other people, either at home or in faraway places, who could just use some help. And uh, every year we select partners. Uh, there are some unsheltered people in the Durham region that we are looking to help through um, Hope House and through First Light Foundation. And um, Gate 316, there's Pregnancy Help Center, there's uh, some um, orphans and widows in Africa. It is all sorts of things that we're going to do together. And I always believe this. Uh, we can do way more together than we can do separately. And so you can give over and above your tithe, mark Christmas at King, and we're looking to raise $10,000 together, and every penny of it will go elsewhere. None of it stays here. There are no expenses, administrative costs, as you can imagine, none of that. It all goes to the, uh, the projects that we have chosen to, uh, to fund. So I hope you'll participate. My family has participated for years and years. It's a great initiative, and uh, looking forward to future years when we can even do more than $10,000. And um, so that's Christmas at King. Uh, we are continuing our series um, that we've called On Mission. And if you're with us a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, small group communities. Circles are better than rows. Uh, we talked about expanding our reach and how we are heading towards a live stream experience of what happens here during our worship gathering and how we are hoisting up the sails and putting our hand over the rudder and inviting God to lead us and guide us and move on the sails, so to speak, uh, at the time of his choosing. But we're open to uh, multiple sites here in the Durham region. It's one of the highest growth areas in Canada. And we want to be ready to uh, export what we believe to be a healthy community right here at King Street. And last week, we talked about celebrating diversity. We're an intergenerational, multi-ethnic community who's getting ready for heaven. And heaven is going to be a multi-racial, multi-ethnic, multi-linguistic experience. And uh, this is supposed to be the church. It's supposed to be a picture, so to speak, of the people of God and how we will assemble around God's throne and how he absolutely loves diversity. These are three of the missional initiatives that we're working toward. And our fourth one today is called Intentional Living. Um, it's engagement in the mission. Uh, every person wants to um, make a difference. Every person wants to leave this world with a 
positive mark left behind from being here. And um, sometimes the way life goes is life happens and things get busy and we go into survival mode and days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years, and we perhaps have not lived deliberately and intentionally. Uh, scripture says that God has given us the capacity to do some things well. And the reason he's given us those endowments and those capacities is that there is a contribution to be made. And uh, so we're, we're more than people just making our way in the world. Uh, we're more than people just on our way to heaven. Uh, we are intended to bring a piece of heaven to this earth. And when we have understood, and this is where we'll spend our time this morning, uh, when we understand that there is a cause bigger than us or bigger than our solitary lives, we're moving in all the right direction. When we understand that there is a divine calling or an invitation for us to do something, it's more than just a good idea, but there is a sense in which um, the invitation of God is in the initiative. And, and when, we, when we understand that we have a, um, a capacity, God has put something. God has put some things into our hands that he wants us to use. And so we're going to take a look at the life of Moses today and how he um, recognized a cause that was bigger than his own life. He understood a calling that was from the divine, from God. And he was also asked a question by God. He says, what's in your hand? And it was out of responding to the cause, the calling, and the competency that was given to him that he lived and left his, his mark in the world. And it was something that God was doing. Um, and so our passage to ponder today is a, a little bit of a longer one. And there are some different names in here that I know you'll be able to chew on and get out. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a heads up. Canaanites. Hivites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites. We won't practice it. It's just not worth practicing. Um, but our text is from Exodus chapter 3. Would you stand with me if you're able? And um, here's the context. Moses is working for his father-in-law, and he is shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, and he's wandering around the backside of the desert, and he encounters God. And it's in Exodus chapter 3. So here we go. Read this with me so your neighbor can hear you. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Wow, you guys did a great job with all those ites. I was really impressed. 
Wonderful. All right. So uh, in Scripture, there are these very two important ideas that actually serve almost as a mandate. Um, the first one shows up in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And so God made them both male and female. They were very good, right, on day six. And then here's what we hear God say in verse 28. Uh, our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters say that this is like the first commandment, if ability has been granted to the human. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so they are invited to be fruitful and to be faithful. And so um, when we talk about looking after God's good creation and multiplying, this is consistent with this mandate that God gives the first man and the first woman. It's important that we are to um, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky or over every living creature. Rule over them responsibly is what God is saying. So misuse and abuse, inappropriate. If we destroy this world, we're destroying that which belongs to God. He wants us to rule over it so that we can take good care of it. And so it's an important mandate in Scripture to be fruitful and faithful. And it's not just an Old Testament idea. In the New Testament, Jesus tells a parable or a story, and parables are, are, are um, spiritual stories that offer a spiritual principle. And so not every detail in the story is meant to be taken literally, but parables are intended to teach primarily one big spiritual idea. And so Jesus tells a story about a man who was given five bags of gold, a man who was given two bags of gold, and a man who was given one bag of gold. And the story goes that the one who had five grew it and brought ten. The one who was given two grew it and brought four. And the one who was given one buried it and hid it and brought back the one. And God had some concerning words to share with the one who was afraid to put what was entrusted to him to work. But for the other who brought five back, or ten back, I should say, and who brought four from the two... Uh, it says here, his master replied, well done, good and, underline this one, faithful servant. They're faithful and they're fruitful. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And so embedded in both Older and New Testament is this invitation for us to be faithful and fruitful. God wants us to reproduce after our own kind, so to speak. He wants us to use what's been entrusted to us for his kingdom purposes. And whatever it is that's in our hand matters. In fact, it's an invitation to grow and be formed by the way we use what he's entrusted to us. Uh, I say around here often that it's not about getting the job done, it's getting people done. So serving in whatever capacity in church life or out in our community is not about just accomplishing something, though the accomplishment of something matters. Through the accomplishment of something, we grow as people. We were made, because we're made in the image and likeness of God, we were made to serve. God is a servant. Every morning we get up, he causes the sun to rise. He caused your heart to beat. He caused there to be just the right environment on this small little speck of dust known as planet Earth. 
where life can be sustained. God is serving us every moment of the day. And then he stoops to wash his disciple friend's feet, including uh, Judas, who would later betray him. And he says to his disciple friends, you ought to go and do likewise. And then he says, you'll be blessed if you do it. There is a blessing that comes from service. See, the upside down kingdom of God gets it right. The kingdoms of this world get it wrong. If you're successful in the kingdom of this world's mind, you have all sorts of servants or people that are under you to help you along the way. In the kingdom of God, we take the posture of a servant. That's why we say here at King Street, pastors are not here to be served by the people. We're here to serve the people. That's the way it's supposed to work. We're here only because you're here. We're here to serve you along the way. And so every Christian is invited to be like their Lord and to be a person of the towel and the basin. So can we talk a little bit about intentional living? Uh, have you noticed lately the older we get, the more we notice it, that life is going a little bit quickly. I'm in my 50s now, and it just seems like the months, are, they feel more like weeks. And it's like, I'm seeing over the horizon, I watched Borea Salming on, on uh, what night was that? That was Friday? Friday night, I saw Borea Salming. I grew up watching him as a kid. And uh, now I just, I did some research because he's unfortunately he's been diagnosed with ALS and it was a very, very sad ceremony to watch a man who's lost the ability to communicate. He's 71 years old now. And I'm thinking, where did those years go? I remember him skating for the Maple Leafs, one of the best defensemen ever. And he was in his prime, probably in his mid twenties or something like that. And life just goes like this, doesn't it? Scripture says we are a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes. We're like the morning dew. You look out at the grass and it's wet and then by 10 o'clock the sun's come out and all the moisture's gone. It's a picture of our lives. When we're young, we think we have all the time in the world, don't we? Summers when I was a kid, oh, they lasted forever. I'd be on my bike playing wall ball with my buddies. It was like, honestly, it felt like a year went by between the end of June and the last week of August. Now it feels like you blink and it's like the summer's gone. Some of you are in the fall season of your lives. I'm in the fall season of my life. It's not winter quite yet, but winter is on the way, isn't it? <laughs> Scripture says that we do well to number our days, not to be morbid about it, but to realize that life is moving us somewhere. A thousand years from now, the only thing that will matter will not be how much money you made, not about the big house you lived in, whether you had a cottage or not, it won't matter how many vacations you went on. They're all good, by the way. They're all good. Those of you who have a cottage, enjoy it, celebrate it. Those who have a jet ski, enjoy it. Those who get to travel all sorts of wonderful places, enjoy discovering God's beautiful world. I want to see more of it. But a thousand years from now, what will matter more than anything else will be what you did with this invitation to come follow Jesus and to live for the glory of his trifold name. That's it. Now you can follow Jesus and travel around the world and have a cottage and you can live for the glory of God on your jet ski. You can do all of that. There's nothing wrong with it. Scripture says that he gives us these things for our enjoyment. Don't listen to anyone who says God's a killjoy. He's not a killjoy. He wraps up life in so many beautiful packages and says, I want you to open it up and enjoy it. 
but don't miss the forest for the trees. This is not all there is. There is more. I want to live for life in this world in the context of the world to come. There is a great big world opening up for us when we step over the threshold of death, and that's all that death is, by the way, is just a threshold. Not to be feared. Not to be feared. There's such a thing called death anxiety, and a lot of people have it. And um, I don't like death, but I like what death does for the believer. It takes you somewhere glorious and beautiful, and you want to be ready for it. So intentional living requires that we actually take inventory and say yes to the invitation to follow Jesus and then to get as active as he invites you to be in living for the glory of his name. And that has a lot to do with what we do with what he's put in our hands. So we need to be moved by a noble cause. Um, And I have so many things I want to share with you here today, but I'm just going to kind of move through this reasonably quickly. There are probably four generations represented here today in this space. And um, every single one, I did a bit of research this past week, every single generation has had a cause to live for and has left a mark. Uh, We honored and celebrated Remembrance Day. My grandparents, who took up um, a military uh, uniform to go and put themselves in harm's way. They were the ones who built out the infrastructure. When you look at our highways and the roads that go through mountains out in the west, and you see all those, you look at those hydro towers and just look at all that was done by previous generations for us. They had a cause that they wanted to improve life for us here. Um, go through other generations and you'll find the millennials. One thing about the millennials is this is what is said about them. Um, they hope to make a contribution to the world. That's one of the things that they're all about. They're highly educated, comfortable with technology, and they want to make a contribution to the world. Generation Z, which is those who are 10 to 25 right now, diversity is the norm. They're digital natives. Progress is consistent across all generations. But for this generation, Generation Z, social justice is huge for them. Social justice is massive. Every generation has a cause. And the reason why every generation has a cause is there's something inside of us as humans that feel this wake-up call to give ourselves to something that lasts. And so my question for you is, what is it that actually moves you these days? What is it that stirs your heart? You've heard from me many times talk about dogs because I just love dogs. And I I love this congregation. This is a dog-loving congregation. Um, There is a couple in our church that just blessed P&I unbelievably this past week. And if you come and talk with me, I'll be sure to show you my keychain. It's just unbelievable. And there's a beautiful plaque and memorial of Chase where we put his collar. Just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. But I love love dogs. And uh, I can't go for my walk or drive down the street, and if I, if I see a dog, I'm drawn to them. Anybody else relate to that? I, I, it's not just me. I just, I see them and I have this, something bursts inside of me, I and I don't know what it is. But I think in retirement, I might start a dog walking business. I don't know, but uh, I, I just absolutely love dogs. I like talk with them, and I expect that they understand what I say. It's a beautiful connection I have with with dogs, and I know many of you can relate to that. Um, Why did God give that to me? 
I, I don't know, apart from the fact that my grandmother had so many dogs, and as a young boy, and my parents, we had dogs growing up, so I've been around them. But some people can be around them. It's not quite the same thing. I'm a dog lover, and I, I think there's something there for me that I need to explore as I get older. Uh, when I see a dog that's been mistreated, oh, man, something goes off in me. I just, I can't, I can't stand it. I think maybe as I get older, I might participate in some of those dog rescue things that they do and just helping animals in some way. Some of you can't relate to that. Others of you can. But there are causes that are numerous, multiplicity of causes. What is it that you love? I'm going to ask you a series of questions before we're done today. But there's something inside of you that you were made for. Yes, to follow Jesus and worship the one true God, but there are specific things. I know people in this church... One comes to mind right now. He has a big commitment to sustainability and to looking after God's planet. And he has taught in universities and he has worked for the region of Durham and he cares deeply about sustainability. That's something in there that is a passion. There's a cause that's there. And all of us get helped by it, right? And so Moses had a cause. He saw his Hebrew brothers being mistreated and it bothered him. It bothered him. What bothers you? What things are happening that you say, that shouldn't be? That should be a bit of a cue for us on what we can get our hearts and minds around so that we can do something intentional to help others. Passion can point us to purpose. And it's something that we need to, to consider. All right, secondly, I've got two more thoughts for you. Living intentionally requires experiencing a sense of calling. Um, we talk about vocation. And... Um, Vocation comes from a Latin term uh, that means literally to call, where we get voice. And so when we feel like we have a calling in our lives, it's, it's like God has summons us, summoned us to do something. And so uh, vocation is to feel called to do something. Calling is so much more than what pastors, teachers, global workers, or missionaries do. It's, it's about anything that God calls you to do. What God calls you to do is sacred and important and must be done. Um, Moses felt a sense of higher purpose in his calling. Uh, there was divine direction around it. And sometimes divine direction is very, very hard to grab a hold of. Sometimes we ask God for it and it seems so elusive. God, what would you have me do next? And it seems hard to find. What matters more than anything is not the clarity around the divine direction, but the desire to move in the direction of the divine. And sometimes God's calling will find us. Other times we'll find it. But Moses just stumbled upon it while he was at work. He wasn't in a cathedral. He wasn't in a holy place. But he was in a holy place because he was out doing the next right thing. And when he was doing the next right thing, God found him. And so when we don't know with absolute clarity what to do next, just do the next right thing. And when we do enough of the next right things, God will find us and there will be an invitation. There will be a sense of calling and there will be to some degree more clarity around it. Now, you don't always have to be doing the right thing in order to stumble upon what God calls you to do. Um, Moses, doing the next right thing, God calls him, meets him in a bush that's burning but never consumed. Paul, in Acts chapter 9, is not doing the right thing. He's persecuting Jesus' followers. He is dragging people from their homes and witnessing their execution. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus says, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
So here's an important principle. Do the next right thing, and God's will or God's ways will find you. And if you're committed to not doing the next right thing, don't think that you can run from him. He will find you. He will find you when you're on a destructive path. He will wait for you. He will, with great love and compassion, ambush you with a mission and redirect you from the way of destruction to the way of divine calling. It's what happened for the Apostle Paul, and it can happen for you, and it can happen for your son, your daughter. So, does that mean doing the next right thing doesn't matter? Not at all. The next right thing leads to a good and beautiful life, and that's what God wants for us. But if you're on a reckless path, or your son or your daughter's on a reckless path today, they are not beyond the reach of God to confront and to call to something beautiful. In fact, I love the story of Roy Graves, and many of you know Roy, he's been part of our church for a number of years, started First Light Foundation of Hope. I remember when we were planning his mother's funeral, and he was in, and he was not on the path that he's on today. And I remember, as clear as day, God spoke with me about Roy. And I kept it to myself until I couldn't hold it in anymore, and I told Roy what I believed God had said to me. And Roy's life, not because of what I said, but because of what God was doing in Roy that had started years earlier because of his mother's prayers. She prayed for her son for 25 years. Every Tuesday morning, she would be in here. She would beat our staff to this space, and she would come with her walker, and she would lay prostrate before the Lord and pray for her son. And God found Roy on a destructive path and redirected his life, and it's a wonderful story of grace, including calling. What has God called you to? I hope you're feeling, even if you're in the late innings of your life, that the calling of God has not expired over you, that there is more for you to do. I forget who said it, but somebody said, as long as you wake up every morning and your heart is beating in your chest, there's still a calling over your life. There's a purpose for you. There's something for you to do. And when the purpose expires, guess what will happen? You will expire. It's the way life works. So if you're here today, and you are, and you can hear me, and you can breathe, and your heart is beating, and it is, God has a calling for you to participate in the world in some way to leave your mark and to leave it for his glory and his honor. Um, I'm all over the place today with my notes. Is that okay with you? I think Bethany's at the back trying to follow me. So Bethany, thank you. Only my daughter could do this today. So, um, Okay, so here's the, here's the principle. Do what your hand finds to do and expect to meet God there. Do what your hand finds to do and expect to meet God there. Don't wait like this for months and years and not do anything. Do what your hand finds to do and expect God to put his hand over yours and to lead you and guide you and direct you and to make you fruitful as you choose to be faithful. There's a beautiful, beautiful principle there for us. And life moves far too quickly in order to, to not do that. Here's the final thought for today. Number three, recognizing, if we're going to live with great intentionality, we need to recognize what God has put in our hands. I, I love this. Moses is called by God. And, and if you read the story from, I think it's Exodus 3 through to chapter 5, it might bleed into chapter 6, Moses brings five excuses to God. After God calls him and says, I want you to go and do this, you and I share a common cause, and I'm going to enlist you to go liberate my people out of Egypt. Five times, Moses says to God, and here's the summary of what he says, I'm not good enough. I don't have all the answers. 
people won't believe me. I'm a terrible speaker. I'm not qualified. Those are the five things that Moses says to God. You know what God says? I'm not believing any of that. I'm sending you out, and I'm going to send your brother with you. We got work to do. Let's go. And he enlists them. It's human to come up with excuses. But when God sees something we don't see, you know, it's interesting that Moses had a stuttering problem, eh? And God says, I want to make you my mouthpiece. God uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. It's his grace that's made perfect in our weakness, right? It's a demonstration of the Spirit's power when all we are is containers, jars of clay. And he says, I want to use that because everybody will say, there's not a chance in the world that that could have happened. Do you know, I had a stuttering problem when I was a kid. It was brutal. I went to speech class for a few years. I had a hard time getting my words out. I would never have thought in a million years God would put me up here and speak to people. Why he did that? Just to remind me that it's not about me, it's about him and his power that's at work in all of us. And so, do the excuses matter? Well, they're real and they're honest, but do they matter that much? No. God will say, I appreciate your honesty, but let's get to work. Right? We got something to do together. I love this about, about God. Moses asks God the what if question, which is always rooted in fear. And God asks Moses a what is question. Moses says, what if? And God says, what is? They're two very different questions. So here we go. Exodus chapter four, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me? This is excuse number three. Or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? It's just a staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, then it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. What if, he asks God, and God says, what is in your hand? It's just a staff. But when it is laid down, when it is put down, when God asks it to be put down, it becomes so much more than just a staff. It was the staff that Moses had in his hand when the body of water opened up and they walked through on dry ground. It was a symbol of the provision and the protection and the presence of God. It was his former vocation that he took with him into his new calling to be a shepherd and to be a leader of the people of God. God never wastes experiences, by the way. I need to say that again for somebody here today. God never wastes experiences. Even when you were living recklessly and sinning in all sorts of crazy ways, God never wastes an experience. He'll redeem it and he'll gather it up and he'll put his spirit in it and make it new and bring beautiful, virtuous things from it always. This is what God does. He is the redeemer. And so we ask the what if questions and God says, what is in your hand? Reminds me of a story in the New Testament. A young boy with a small lunch. Do you remember that story? A young boy with a small lunch can feed thousands. Imagine that. When Jesus looked up in Luke chapter six and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. 
for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And so Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And it ends up feeding thousands of people. Here's the principle. One small lunch can feed thousands of people when it's put in Jesus' hands. This is what I have in my hand. It's not very much, but when I give it to Jesus, when it's consecrated, consecration leads to transformation. There is a multiplication that happens when we put it in Jesus' hands. Jesus looked up, prayed, gave thanks, broke bread, right, and disseminated it. And afterwards, they said, pick up all the basketfuls. There was 12 basketfuls left over. What a picture of a God who multiplies the little we have and makes so much more of it. God can make a lot more of your life if you put it in his hands. The little you have doesn't seem like much, but it's what God's put there. And you might have some excuses on what you can and cannot do, but God invites you to do your part, to do something, because you're on the planet for a reason. Consecration leads to transformation. So here's the last series of questions I have for you today, and with this, we'll end. Uh, you can sit with these. Um, here's the first one. What do you care deeply about? Whatever you care deeply about will be a little bit of a window into perhaps what God is calling you to do something about. What do you care deeply about? Secondly, what are you good at and where do people affirm you? That can also be a little window into what God has been asking you to do with what's in your hand. What are you good at and where do people affirm you? Thirdly, what season of life are you in? Not all seasons are created equal. Pastor Gary's got five little kids at home. He has a different life season than someone who's an empty nester or perhaps is a single adult. Um, whatever season of life in, God will invite us to live consistent with that season of life that we find ourselves in with the appropriate opportunities and limitations that go with it. Um, what has God trusted you with? For some of you, God's trusted you with a business. Others of you, it's a skill, an ability, a capacity. For some, it's time. For some, it's a passionate care about a people group. What has God trusted you with? Is there a group of people that you're drawn to? What makes you angry, sad, or perhaps even excited? What need do you meet Sorry, what need do you have the resources to meet? And what is God calling you to do about the problem that you see? Uh, a friend of mine who used to be a pastor just up to COVID um, stepped out of pastoral ministry and has gone to do something else. And I just read a blog of his this morning. And uh, he said he has all these conflicted feelings of not being a pastor anymore. And, uh, but then he said, because um, he's working with um, First Nations people, and he's doing um, inner healing retreats with them. And he goes out west. He goes to Alberta, British Columbia, starting something here in Ontario. And he's helping people who have been bound by addictions and abuse and hurt and reckless choices of others. And he's helping them find wholeness. And he said, I may not be doing it by pronouncing the name of Jesus over it, but I'm doing it in the spirit of Jesus. He says, it's Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is on me. And he's anointed me to um, make announcements 
that the day of jubilee or freedom has come for prisoners to go free, for people who are blind to see. He says, I may not be teaching people about Jesus the same way, but I'm actually doing the work of Jesus. Isn't that good? So I say all that to say, let's throw off the clutter. What ways has God called you to live intentionally in this world? And it might not look anything like the person across uh, the aisle from you today at all. It might not even gain the affirmation of your family. But what is it that God has called you to do that if you don't do it, something will be left undone? Um, we're, we're asking, we're inviting every person who calls King Street Community Church your church family to use whatever it is he's put in your hand, whether it be inside the church or outside the church. We need hundreds and hundreds of people who live in the Durham region to be faithful and fruitful. That's the way the body of Christ grows and takes good care of herself, and that's the way the body of Christ overflows into the community and world and lifts institutions and organizations and neighborhoods and public policy and all sorts of things. So what will it look like for you? I can only imagine. But I'm asking you on behalf of God and for the glory he wants to bring to his own name and the work he wants to do in the world for the Lord's sake to not sit on your gifts and your ability and your resources, but to put them to use, to be faithful and fruitful. It's consistent with our human mandate, and it's consistent with what it means to be a Jesus-following person. Amen to that? Amen. All right. So, um, it's been Pastor Alicia and myself and uh, Pastor Ken and, and just doing what we're doing here today. And uh, so, I'm, I'm going to pray with you, and then I'm going to leave you with a, uh, a benediction. Um, I hope you've met with the Lord today in some way, and I hope you've been reminded of a beautiful invitation that he has for you to do something, whatever the next right thing is for you. And if you ever want to talk to one of your pastors to somehow be discerning together what that might look like, please don't ever hes hesitate to reach out. We don't have clarity all the time for people, but we can sit with you as you pray and consider and think and brainstorm and... Uh, and we, we would be happy to do that. So don't ever hes hesitate to reach out to your pastors. It's an honor for us to serve you in any way, including that way. So if you're able, would you stand with me today? And then I'll, I'll pray for you and we'll leave you with a, uh, a benediction. And then there will be a small group um, gathering right here. They'll be watching a video before they scatter to their small group uh, gatherings. And that'll happen at uh, noon today right here in the auditorium. So let me pray for you and then I'll leave you with a blessing. Lord, thank you again for today. Thank you for your peace and grace that has spread out over all of our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you have put things in our hands that we are to use for your purposes. Lord, thank you again for the passions of the heart. Thank you, Lord, for the capacities and endowments and the spiritual gifts that you've put into our lives. Lord, thank you again for the life season we find ourselves in, being fruitful and faithful at home first and then exporting that to our faith community and then beyond. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we near uh, whatever exit door you'll call us to of your choosing, Lord, that we will have a testimony of faithfulness and fruitfulness to share um, with those that we're leaving behind with a, a positive impact left here in this world and to be hearing from you, well done, good and faithful servant on the other side. So, Lord, make us faithful and make us fruitful, we pray. Apart from your spirit, we cannot do it. Lord, we are the branches, you are the vine. Apart from you, we can do nothing. 
So Holy Spirit, come and be strong in us today. And these weak vessels of ours, Lord, may you come and pour in the treasure and the sacred nature of your Spirit's power and presence so that we might be on display in this world uh, that Jesus is King, that the Father has made us for his glory, and that the Spirit is working to repair the world and that we get humbly to be a part of it. And uh, we pray all of this in Jesus' name today. Amen. All right, so let me leave you with this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his loving countenance towards you and give you much peace and much grace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. 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 God bless you and have a great rest of the day today.